We're still going. We're rolling. All right. We're well, back. We are back. We are back at war. The, um, how was your week? It was very much like the week we just had. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. the one, the one It's before. like they all kind of blend together. Oh my God. It's just one swirling mass of excitement. <laughs> one after the other. Oh God, no. No. So last week we had, uh, we talked about, uh, Vichy France generally, but uh, through the lens of the movie Casablanca, Casablanca and, yep. the, and the location of Casablanca. Was that last week? That was last week. God, it feels like, it feels like half an hour ago. It feels like one end of Scotty's <laughs> Tournament of Hearts <laughs> semi-finals ago. Take that out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, trying to run a professional podcast. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm... Uh, anyways, so um, yeah, so we've had uh, a look at the macro. I feel like you've been doing the macro in this podcast, I have. Yeah, yeah. But well, I, like, I like you're doing the micro. Yeah, so you're like one guy. Yeah, I you know. I'm mean, talking about Phil. Oh World, man, Phil. World War Two the lens of one person. So, yeah. but I do find these uh, sometimes these human interest stories of the Second World War quite fascinating. Yeah. Uh, they warm the heart and clog you're the like, mind. <laughs> clog the arteries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like, but they're interesting little uh, tidbits. Yeah, the back page of uh, Reader's Digest. Yeah, sort of exactly. Thing. Yeah. Humor in uniform. Yeah. Nothing funny about this. So we're going to do uh, another one of these uh, kind of individual interesting stories of the Second World War. Uh, but it has some, uh, it has a cool kind of sidebar to it that we'll discuss. We've discussed it before, and uh, we'll talk a bit about it as well. So the gentleman in question tonight is Mr. Nobuo Fujita. No, sounds Japanese. He is Japanese. So Mr. Fujita was a naval aviator in the Imperial Japanese Navy. I remember you drrunkenly telling me about yes. this and by drunkenly i mean i was drunkenly listening, listening to you telling to me, me talk about, about this, this. Yeah. this is a good little story yeah okay yeah this is a great story so mr fujita uh was a he flew a float plane uh off of a get this a japanese submarine oh yes, yes. i was reading about um yeah. last week when i spoke about casablanca in vichy france last yes. week when i spoke about it last, last week. week um yeah, like, and I mentioned the Madagascar thing. Yeah, and the, yeah, so yeah, the they're, Japanese submarine. Yeah, yes. because because they were flying planes off. Yeah, of them. so they flew these. Uh, the the Americans, because the Americans always had like a, a man's name for uh, the Japanese planes, like a like an Oscar or a this or that or, yeah. or not even man's name. Like one of their bombers was called a Betty. Uh, this one, the Americans called it the Glenn. Uh, GLE, as in Glenn Miller? As in Glenn Miller, yeah. So yeah. it was a... It was smooth and lively. <laughs> smooth jazz. Uh, it was a... Uh, the float plane in question would be known as the Yokosuka E-14Y float plane. I love that one. Yeah, E-14Y, <laughs> yeah. great It's kind of a good-looking plane, yeah. actually. It's kind of a cool-looking plane. You know the plane. French tried to build a submarine aircraft carrier? I find the idea of a single plane off an aircraft, off of a submarine, sorry, weird. An aircraft carrier submarine, completely preposterous. I, I guess it's what you're using the submarine for with the plane, like for a stealthily break. Yeah, well, that's what this. Well, that's we'll get to that. That's part of the story. I mean, but essentially, it's a reconnaissance. If you don't have radar, which the Japanese wouldn't have had, not well. Yeah. No, it was a useful reconnaissance plane. And that's yeah. what Mr. Uh, Fujita did for most of his uh, career as an aviator. Just a, war- a working man, lunch pail. <laughs> lunch lunch <laughs> yeah. bucket reconnaissance yeah, yeah. pilot. So he was, uh, his submarine, the I-25, that he was yeah. uh, the pilot for, was uh, part of, uh, it, you know, incidentally part of the attack on Pearl Harbor. 
Yeah. He, uh, they were on a patrol area to protect the Japanese task force, and he flew a, a float plane mission there. Uh, he flew a few float plane reconnaissance missions over uh, Australia and New Zealand. Interesting. Like, flew over Wellington. Really? Uh, yeah. Flying the Japanese got around. Like, <laughs> yeah. a, like the Madagascar thing. Yeah. I actually didn't know that yeah. they got that far. But they, they were, definitely got yeah. around. Uh, but where this story gets interesting, and there's certainly a broader uh, uh, piece of World War II that we can talk about. But So we'll talk about this in particular, but then it'll lead us onto a sidebar. And, and that's fine. I'm, yeah. good, I'm good with the sidebar. Okay, I, want, I want yeah. the sidebar. So what of happened was... Uh, the voir dire, if yeah. you will. So what's going to happen here is uh, the I-25, along with a few other its contemporary submarines, were conducting a lot of operations off the western coast of North America. So one of the submarines actually surfaced and using its deck gun, shelled a location on Vancouver Island called Esteban Point. Okay. There's a lighthouse there. Yeah. Uh, Did they hit it? No. In huh? fact, no one even knew that they'd done it until someone came by three days later and saw oh, the man. smoldering holes. Uh, they didn't hit anything. Gosh. Take pride uh, in your work, fellas. Yeah, yeah. Guys, try and pick something off. The I-25, uh, it, it uh, shelled uh, a few locations off the coast of Oregon and, and Northern California. But Mr. Fujita became, he proposed uh, the idea of using the Glenn float plane, which could carry two bombs, yeah. small bombs. Uh, of carrying these two bombs, incendiary bombs, and flying into a you know wooded, somewhat remote area of uh, you know Oregon, United States, Western United States, and drop these incendiary bombs to start a forest fire. Okay, that yeah. was his plan. That was he was like, we, oh, should, wow. we should do this. ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. incidental bombing yeah. of you know random bombing and wildfires. Yeah, <laughs> and starting wildfires. Yeah, in California. They would really catch on later through, you know, global yes, warming. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is going to be the sidebar. So we'll park the story there for okay, a minute. Okay, fair enough. Because we had discussed this idea. This wasn't, uh, I think this was the first adventure in doing this. But this would lead later to a broader Japanese effort to try and start forest fires. Because they had balloons, Well, this recall. is the sidebar yeah. I'm willing to go down. Is this balloon? Are we doing the sidebar now? We're on it now. Okay, that's sidebar. Here now. So, yeah, okay. this idea of these balloons. So, what they would do is they would either through submarines or sometimes even just surface ships a long ways out launch these high-altitude balloons that were in the basket of the balloon was packed with incendiaries and the thing would, you know, drift over North America and eventually the balloon would run out of helium or whatever the case may yeah. be. And it would crash and start a forest fire. And start a fire. Good plan. Um, yeah, like I mean, about as random and yeah. potentially pointless as possible. I but sort of feel like the Japanese didn't really know what to do with submarines. Well, in this instance, well, so there's a broader conversation okay, there. You yeah. are right. They didn't know what to do with yeah. submarines. Uh, not like the Americans would eventually do to them with submarines, completely yeah. choke off their, and the Germans almost did to the yeah, British. Yeah, exactly. The Japanese never were effective yeah, in doing They were that, like, no. what are we, they, they, they just did silly little, like, things um, like this. Yeah, yeah. Arts and crafts kind of. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not very effective. So these balloon bombs, uh, one drifted as far east as Manitoba. Wow. And they crashed in Manitoba, yeah. Uh, a, one was yeah. found as recently in uh, kind of lower mainland BC in 2014. Whoa. Yeah, one was found still intact. Yeah. The incendiary hadn't gone off yet. Um, 
they didn't really do much. There was a couple started a large forest fire in the United States uh, that took some time to put out. But a lot of, in most cases, they just, you know, the if they started a forest fire, no one really cared much. Yeah. You know, or, or it was yeah. of such small... This was the age before Smokey the Bear. So it was like, yeah. Well, no, well, the National Forest Service actually existed for this reason. Yeah. And it existed in the 1920s or uh, 1919 era for this reason. And they were pretty on the spot on this. So they would see it and they'd put mm. it out. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. Or in many cases, they just, the thing would burn out on its yeah. own. So it wasn't extremely... I don't feel effective. there was a lot of... Str- good strategic thinking behind this uh well i would say a lot of very poor strategic yeah. thinking you could find yeah. better things to do with your submarines yeah. than having them launching balloon bombs over north america yeah. that are supposed to start fire forest fires and cause some havoc uh they did kill uh five people uh, yeah in one incident probably children yes yeah, yeah three of it was a family oh, uh fuck. Can, are picnicking i believe and uh the 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 incendiary had landed, hadn't gone off, and kids uh, went over to see it, and boom, it went off. Ah. Killed the family immediately. Because the thing uh, is, like, yeah. this is such a goofy thing, but to actually go that way would be absolutely awful. Well, it's, well, yes, and it's 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 indiscriminate as indiscriminate yeah. can yeah. get. Like, you're not even trying to like hit a military target. You're just trying, you're to, trying to hit a target. Yeah. You're not even trying to hit a yeah. target. Trying to hit a continent. Yeah, you know that's as accurate as you're getting uh. with this. Uh, so we'll back up to Mr. Fujita again. Yes. So um, sidebar done. Blo- sidebar is done. Losing the sidebar. I like the uh, this balloon. So there's one of these on display at the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa. Is there? Yeah, there's a balloon bomb there. Oh, I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, they have an intact one. Hmm. They're quite large. Yeah, it's really quite interesting. Hmm. Uh, oh my god. I wouldn't go for that. But they landed the like they've got recorded landings of them all over uh, the east. Their Any idea how many they set off? Do they know how many they set off? Hun- hundreds and hundreds of them. Yeah, like hundreds of them. They have a, a map there, actually, with the display. It indicates all the points along at least the Canadian uh, west coast where they landed. And it's there's a lot. There's a lot of them. And as I say, as far east as Manitoba, even, that they would drift that far. I guess the dream is to just set North America on a, fire. A blaze, I yeah. guess. It's a somewhat... It's a, I don't silly, use, it's a silly dream. I was going to say, I don't want to use the word juvenile. But no, it is. Juvenile. It is juvenile. Yeah. Like, it's kind yeah. of dumb that you yeah. think this would work. Uh, so back to Mr. Fujita and his, yeah. you know, he is in some cases the brainchild of this because yeah, he's going to fly around in his float plane, drop yeah. these, uh, bombs, uh, in an area near, uh, Brookings, uh, Oregon in Northern or sorry, Southern Oregon, Northern United States. Uh, so, uh, wait, Oregon's South of Washington, right? It's yes, Washington, it Oregon, California. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he does this and this ends up being like the, uh, only, attack by an aircraft on american soil ever like the only bombing of america so it's historical the only recorded uh, instance of a aircraft dropping a bomb flying away you know so he goes back flat you know drops a bomb near brookings uh, oregon he swears he's started a big fire he's pretty confident of it um Everyone's happy, successful. We struck, yeah. struck a blow against the Americans. I mean, their, their yeah. standards are so low. It's I like, how can they not? Kind of pointless. Yeah. So the, uh, we hit North America. So there's a lot of uh, uh, records of this flight. So people in Brookings saw the plane. Uh, National Forestry Service saw the fire, uh, put it out. The other bomb 
no one really knows what happened to it. It apparently started a fire, but it went out on its own, and no one ever needed to engage on it. Uh, Warrant Officer Frigida goes lands back in his, his aircraft carrying yeah. submarine. Sorry, and, back uh, in the days when it was hard to start a forest fire. Yeah, in fact, well, that's it, because apparently it had been a very wet year. Yeah. So it was very hard to start these yeah. forest fires. Uh, he serves out the rest of the war. Uh, as a uh, as a naval aviator, uh, and um, and there we go. Hmm. Story doesn't end there. So this is kind of where I like this aspect of the story. So Brookings, uh, Oregon, uh, they have a plaque or they have a marker up where this bomb landed because they could it, it landed close enough to the town that people knew that they had been bombed. Okay? Yeah, that would be so weird. Like, so I mean, weird. Yeah. So weird. Yeah, and uh, and. You know, there was National uh, Forestry Service individuals on site, and U.S. military came, and they confirmed, yep, that was a Japanese bomb. Like, And everyone had seen this plane fly over, and so, like, yeah, we just got bombed by the Japanese Navy. Like, so bizarre. Um, so, they have a marker there. Like, they've kind of got this, like, yeah. memorialized, the only location where, you know, uh, America has been, you know, been uh, bombed uh, by a foreign power. They have this marker up there, and they kind of, no one got hurt, so they sort of lay some claim to fame with this. Yeah. Um, many years later, in the early, I think in the 1960s, uh, they invite Mr. Fujita to come to Brookings, Oregon. So the, how did they track him down so, as the guy who dropped the ball? Yeah, so it, it was the only instance that this happened. Yeah. So he is on record as he, as the pilot. Oh, okay. So oh, okay. This yeah, is, yeah. I don't think the research was hard to do. I okay. Guess. Yeah. Like, it was very easy to track him down as a pilot. He's still alive, living life in Japan. So they yeah. want to fly him over and say, and like, you know, it's sort of like this kind of have a commemoration yeah. of sorts. Yeah. He apparently is not so sure what's going on here. So he brought his family's samurai sword. Yeah. Just uh, 400 years old. And he his did, family had a four hundred year old samurai. Yeah, sword. apparently. So uh, he goes to Oregon, and the reports are that he at least says he goes. He had no idea. He was very, very nervous about going there, and was thought that he would be. So first off, Japan, the Japanese government, need to get assurances to the United States that he wouldn't be tried as a war criminal uh, for indiscriminate bombing. Oh yeah, and good they, point. And the Americans like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. This is yeah. all about board. We're not looking to charge yeah. this old man as a war criminal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this guy, <laughs> this guy's going down. Yeah, no, this we had bigger fish to fry. Yeah, yeah. Still hunting down. Werner von Braun, <laughs> we're given a job to, but this mother still hunting down yeah. Eichmann at this time. Yeah. So we have bigger fish to fry. Mr. Fujita, he's not going to register. Yeah. Um, no, no. So they're good, but he still thought like, oh, he's going to be booed and they're going to hate him and stuff like that. I would have, yeah. So he was. Prepared, I would be uncomfortable about. He was prepared to commit suicide. Oh, was that what the sword was for? I was going to ask that, but then I thought it was racist if I asked that. No, apparently this is what is in the article. He is prepared to kill himself at this ceremony uh, as a means of like. biggest Ah. No, sir, yeah. we've got a cake. Oh, we actually got a cake for you. Now, he, uh, out of shame, he was uh, willing to commit suicide um, for because, you know, he'd lost the war and he had done this and he thought these people were going to, you know, treat him badly and shame him. He was surprised to find that he was actually like the guest of honor at this uh, commemoration of this uh, plaque and 
this commemoration of this event during the Second World War. He donates his sword to the town. Ah. And they put it in uh, in the city hall. And I think they eventually... <laughs> they lock it up so he doesn't... <laughs> so he can't kill himself with it. Uh, I think they eventually uh, put it into the, the school, into the school library. He helps raise money to build... That's a, not a good place for a samurai. It's on, it's on display. Okay. It's locked right. up. Okay, it's not right. around so yeah. kids can get at it. Uh, he raises money to help build this library. Uh, like, do, give donations to yeah. the largest public uh, library in Oregon. Or li- largest school library in Oregon. Huh, huh. Uh, he also spends the rest of his life uh, working with the goal to, fl- to bring students from Brookings, Oregon, to Japan. Yeah. Uh, and it takes a while. Like, the, the article's cute. Like, he has several businesses that fail. He keeps do- grinding away yeah. to make money. Eventually, I think in uh, the uh, 1986, he makes enough money and he flies four students from Brookings, Oregon, to his uh, home in Japan. Oh, that's kind of cool, because, I mean, that really is a very long time so we're talking 40 time. years after the war yeah probably 20, 20 years, years since after, he made this yeah. commitment yeah it took quite a while uh he came back to and it was very successful and his goal was to he felt in hindsight like having been to oregon and seen because at the time like, he was a naval pilot a japanese naval pilot imbued with the responsibilities that that Oh my entailed, God! Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, fighting and dying for the emperor, and then you know the the humiliation of the end of the war and all this, and then he goes to Oregon and he and he's bombed this town and he's ready for this town to like take out their vengeance on him, and they're like, "Hey, man, no, don't worry about it. It's all good. Like yeah. this was cool. This is a funny little piece of history." So he's so uh, you know uh, enriched with this sense of uh, of of uh, of relationships. And sharing this common moment that he feels that the goal of his life should be bringing people together. That if we knew each other, if we knew each other better, if we visited each other's countries, we yeah. wouldn't fight each other. If you know each other, you don't kill each other. And and, and it's the misunderstandings that happen when when societies uh, don't connect on a personal level. Okay. And that's what he was shooting. What's what he was striving for in his later life. Uh, bringing these students to Japan, him visiting Brookings a, on four instances in the 1990s, I think, four yeah. later instances in the 1990s. Um, he planted a tree at the site of the bombing, uh, and uh, to along with the memorial. And uh, eventually he passed away, I think, in the late 1990s. Uh, his, he was cremated, as it was the tradition. And his daughter brought his ash, part of his ashes over to lay at the site. Oh, that's nice. It. It's nice to have, like, something to focus your life around. Like, yeah. I mean, if I were cremated today, eh, just, my kids would just <laughs> flush me down the toilet. Right, right, yeah. right, right down, right with yeah. the fish. So I think, uh, I like this story. So we spoke a few weeks ago about this one man who had served in, you know, yes. multiple militaries. And, and, and also and, on the poster for a... <laughs> poster for a St. John City Council, or a realtor. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whether that story is true or not, this story is true. Whether yeah. that story is true or not, I like that story because it just takes the global aspect of the Second World War and, and the tragedy to, of the yeah. Second World War and boils it down to one person. Yes, I did like that. This does something very similar to that. This takes the, the tragedy of nations of war, nations that aren't communicating with each other, 
and boils it down to one person who thinks he's found a way to solve that. Yeah. And spends the rest of his life trying to do that. I mean, I don't think he has. Like, I, I don't no, think I don't that think he has, getting but... to know people will stop him from going to war. But, I mean, I, I like that somebody is so... Honestly, I like the idea that he feels bad for what he did. Even And, I, I mean, I'm very happy that what he did didn't kill anybody. Well, that... I think it's helpful, and probably I don't think this would be a heartwarming story if, if it had. I agree but, with you, but I, yeah. I like that that he. But you know whether he felt guilt for that. And I, don't point, want, like, I don't want him to suffer because he didn't get. No, but he but, felt guilt, and he trans, yeah. and he and he made that into something positive. Yeah, and I think your point, like, was you know, is the world now? Oh, everything's peace because Mr. Fujita, you know, made this effort. No, but you know, to probably misquote the you know Jewish Talmud. You know, the man who saves one life will save the world in time. And I think if we all take a message from Mr. Fujita, yeah. maybe we do. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, that was this a good story. a good story. Oh, I like that guy. All right. Yeah. All right. All Have right. a good night, everyone. Heartwarming wars with Brad. <laughs> Brad and Ned. Have a good night.